If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're in the book of Philippians. And I know you're probably thinking, uh, is there anything left in Philippians to talk about? And, and the answer is yes. We're going to wrap Philippians up tonight. And then next Thursday, we're going to start the book of James. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Saddle up for some James. Because James don't mess around. Yeah, I know. The thing is this, I'm like in a survey right now to see who's not here next Thursday because you're like, I don't know. It might be a little too convicting. James is, James is tough. But if you want to grow, it's a great book. Stand with me tonight. Verse 21. I'm going to pray first, then we'll read, then I'll ask a question. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Thank you for the book of Philippians. It has been good, enriching filling our hearts with joy. Thank you, Father, for the stories surrounding the planting of this church and not only that, but God, the circumstances that Paul was in when he wrote this epistle. And we're reminded tonight that you use absolutely everything. God, you use everything and your ways are unconventional. And so lead us to a place, God, where not only our hands are open to you, but our hearts are open to you, our lives are open to you, to be led and directed for the purpose of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of of Caesar's household the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let me, let me do it again. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I read that. I read that. And I know some of you are like, really? Like, what, what can we get out of this uh, benediction? But, but I just want to ask you guys, did anything like, pop out to you or emerge for you? Or is there like something, you know, that you thought, man, that's really interesting. That's profound. Curious. Caesar. Caesar. All right. Caesar's side. Somebody else said that too? All right. We got a little, we got Caesars on this side. We got little Caesars over here. Um, what, what else do we got? Any, anything else? What's that? The saints. That's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. We're not going to talk about that tonight, but may that permeate your, 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 your soul this evening. Yeah, that's good. Okay, now you can have a, you can have a seat. I think, that, I think that you guys, you guys hit it. And the, and the reality is this. Sometimes you get to the end of an epistle and you get to the benediction, the farewell. Um, sometimes there's a greeting in the benediction. So it can go greeting, farewell, benediction, um, and, you know, it's almost like a postscript. It's almost like a punctuation mark. Sometimes it seems so in, insignificant that it's, it's like you just, you, you hurry through it to get on to the next, you know, book maybe that, that you're reading. Um, but really, there's so much, there's so much in these verses. Um, and there's always something in every verse of the Bible. But tonight, we're going to pull some things out that I think, you know, God's already spoken to you. I don't know if you older people remember, maybe some of you younger people, maybe you've never heard of this before, but there was a series of books, 
some time ago, and they, they may still be uh, available today, but it was, like, it, w- it was like four dummies series. Do you guys remember that? So it was like football for dummies, or Microsoft Excel for dummies, or calculus. You know, if you didn't know anything about a subject, you could buy a four dummies book and you could get the basics. Calculus for dummies, chess for dummies. Um, I don't think anyone ever did a ministry for dummies. <laughs> and um, it's probably, you know, probably wouldn't be a bad book to write. But if they did, I think one of the, you know, probably not the first chapter, but maybe the second chapter would start with, it's about people, dummy. It's about people, dummy. And, you know, that may seem, that may seem obvious to you, but the reality is this. Sometimes we forget that the story of God is about people, and sometimes even, you know, in our own lives, we can, we, can, we can easily forget that what God is doing is He is reaching people with the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And we may know that theologically, but like living that out on a daily basis in our lives isn't always an easy concept to get our hearts and arms around because you know, sometimes we're just so focused on ourselves. Sometimes we're so oriented around ourselves. Sometimes our lives are just filled with so much self that the idea of others doesn't even cross our mind. But that's why I think it's important to step back and to remember that, like I said, the story that God is writing from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, um, the story is about the glory of God, and God is glorified as He redeems people into His kingdom through the power of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is what really you see. You see God creating a temple for himself in, in the, the creation story, right? Six days of creation. God is creating a universe in which he is, is worshipped. He creates human beings, Adam and Eve. And then you have the whole trajectory of the story to the very end where we see another universe, a brand new universe created, a celestial city descending out of heaven, uh, which is a temple. In the center of the temple is the Father and the Son, and then surrounding the Father and the Son are the people who have been redeemed. Like that is, that is the story of God. That's what God is doing, and that, that is what God has privileged us to be a part of as we continue fulfilling, in a sense, the redemptive work of Christ on the cross through sharing the gospel with people around us. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about principles or Christian policies. It is about people. And I just, you know, like that may, I say that to you today, and there's a little voice in my own mind saying, like, duh, that's obvious. But the truth is, we have to let that sink in. We have to let that sink in. The reality of the purpose of God for our lives is to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people around us. It really is about people. And I think as you get to the end of this epistle, 
And we have this final greeting that Paul gives. We have, in a sense, a, a farewell and a benediction. Like I said, if you're not careful, it's easy just to plow through it and miss the significance of what Paul is saying. And there are, of course, three things tonight that really emerge for me. The first one is found in verse 21. The Bible says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet every, say the word every with me. Greet every saint. Maybe your translation says, greet each one. Uh, Maybe your translation says all. My concern with the word all is it becomes this uh, word that, that loses the individual impetus of what Paul is saying. Paul literally is saying one by one. Greet every single one. Of course, you know, the word saint stands out, as we mentioned, because um, sometimes it's hard for us to get our minds around the reality that, that as we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we are saints. We are, this is like an age-old exercise, and as an older pastor, I hesitate to do it, but I'll just do it anyway. Say your first name out loud. You don't know your first name? Like, come on, people. <laughs> Say your first name out loud. Okay, now put the word saint in front of it and say the word saint and then your name. How'd that feel? Like how'd that, that, raise your hand if it felt good. All right, all right, all right. Raise your hand if it felt a little uh, awkward. Raise your hand if it just like, you know, is something you never want to say out loud again. Just go ahead and raise (laughs) raise your hand. I think it's it's hard. It's hard for us to realize that the, the power of the work of Christ on the cross is so complete and so significant that it is transformed and changed us from being sons and daughters of wrath, right, children of disobedience under the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2, to being in a place where we are holy, where we are set apart, where we are separate, where we belong to God, to a place where we can say that we are in Christ, where we are in Christ saints. He says, greet each one. And I know, you know, Maybe the challenge for some when I say this is the Western church is so consumed with extreme individualism, like we don't need one more thing to focus the attention on ourselves. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to remember that in the eyes of God, every single person matters. And I'm compelled to say that to you tonight because the truth is that maybe when you came in this evening, maybe there's a lot of of self-loathing. Maybe there's a lot of self-disappointment. You know, maybe the world around you has not been an engaging world where you feel loved and cared for and nurtured. Maybe it's just the opposite. You feel exploited, abused, and used. And so you live with this, you live with this, uh, we don't listen to cassette tapes anymore, but you live with this tape playing in the back of your mind that you, you don't matter and you have no value And I just want to say to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ says the exact opposite. You know, we were praying before the service and and Gary prayed the word gospel and connected it to the word light. And for me, it was like, man, the word gospel is such a beautiful word. It's such a beautiful word. And obviously, it's beautiful because everything that's embedded in it 
but one thing we know is embedded in the gospel is the reality that, that we matter to God. And, and, the re, and the reality that you may be living in is this, you may not matter to anybody else, but you matter to God. The eyes of God are on you. I played soccer growing up for like 19 years, and so I had a, I had a load of soccer trophies in my room. And it wasn't because I was good. I was just an average player, but I was on really good teams. And I remember, I can remember in my mind, um, those different trophies and each one of them, each one of them had a story. Each one of them had a season. Each one of them had team members that I was friends with. You know, each one of them had successes and failures. You know, there was so much connected to each one of those trophies, you know, and and as I was growing up, they were placed in my room. They were on display. And, and I took a lot of joy in not just the trophy, but in everything that, uh, every aspect of the story that was behind each trophy. And I say all of that to say to you, you are a trophy of grace to God. You are a trophy of grace to God. And heaven is going to be essentially this amazing trophy case and, and every single trophy has a story. Your life has a story. The work of God in your life has a story. All that God has done, the relentless love of God to hunt you down. He pursued you. He sought after you. He came after you. He sovereignly and providentially arranged circumstances around your life. He raised up people and put burdens on their hearts to pray for you and to pray for your salvation. He wooed you through the working of his Holy Spirit to enlighten your eyes of understanding that you would come to a place where you were so convicted of your sin, you knew that you needed, like Job said, someone to stand between you, an unholy person, and, and a holy and righteous God. And God led you to the place where you recognized that there was only one person who, who ever lived who was capable of spanning the gap, bridging the distance between you and God, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And, and that's, that's the, the love of God for you. He went through all of that. I'm not saying that this is the way heaven's going to be, but it could be. The angels, the Bible says, are going to look into these things that God has done, and maybe they're going to roll past your life, and, and the story's going to play, and it's going to be this amazing unpacking of all the great things that God has done th through you and in you. Every person, from, from Paul's point of view, every person mattered to him. Greet Every saint, greet each saint. He lived with a love for people and he understood that it ultimately was about people. And that's Jesus style. That's Jesus style because when you read the gospel accounts, what you discover is that every person mattered to the Lord. Don't you love that about him? Don't you love as you're like following his footsteps as he's up in the Galilee or maybe in Tyre and Sidon, that area, or down in Jerusalem, what you see is that there wasn't anybody that he turned away. In fact, he was the one that was going after the ones that weren't gone after by the religious leaders. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were so consumed with themselves that in their mind, they were the only ones that mattered. And because they were so consumed with themselves and their own self-righteousness, not only did other people not matter, but they had a condescending attitude towards others. That, that was not the Jesus style. 
There's a song um, that became popular when I was in college, which was a long time ago. Uh, and it goes like this, I would walk 500 miles. <laughs> you guys know this song? I would walk 500 more to be the man who would walk 1,000 miles and fall down at your, yeah, sing it with me. Everyone, how's the next part go? That's it right there. We got, we got, we got one bold person here in the congregation tonight. And, and you know, who's going to walk 1,000 miles for you? Who's going to walk 1,000 miles for you? If you take the three years of the ministry of Jesus Christ and you count the distance that he traveled, conservatively, it was 3,127 miles. And if you map it out, he went all over the place. I just did this exercise about 10 months ago. I mapped out his whole journey. You know, everything that's disclosed in the gospel accounts, where he went from this southern part of Israel to the northern part of Israel. And, and he did all of that because he was pursuing people. He was pursuing people. This is what he does for you. Don't minimize the value that you have in the eyes of God. And not only that, I want to ask you tonight, how far are you willing to go for others? How far are you willing to go for others? You know, because Jesus lived this life of, of relentless love and pursuit and self-sacrificial, in a self-sacrificial, caring way, not just so that you could have in, in, in a biblical picture of the love of God for you, but that you could do the same for others around you, every saint. The second thing that I see tonight is this, the Bible says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, here we are, the brothers who are with me greet you. The bro you'll notice that the ending of this is all about people, it's like people times a hundred. But Paul, the second thing Paul says that, that emerges for me is the brothers who are with me, the brothers who are with me. That may seem small to you, but we learn from this that Paul served in community. Paul served in community, even when Paul was under house arrest. Remember, Paul is, he's in a home that he's rented with his own money. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And even in that place, even in that place, Paul understood the value of living in community with other people. Um, so let me just say it like this. You've got to have some brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? You've got to have some brothers and sisters. You have to have people in your life. You have to have people. You know, you can call it whatever you want to. You could call it your posse. You could call it your crew. You could call it your community. Um, you could come up with a fun name, you know, that's better than all of those, better than some old guy trying to sound young, and that's not what I'm doing, I'm just saying. You've got, you've got to have those relationships. And, you know, tonight you might be thinking, well, that, that too just seems so rhetorical and so obvious. And, and, you know, if it was, you know, Christianity for dummies, that would be like page three. But the truth is this, there are so many Christians that are living disconnected lives from other believers. Maybe you'd be surprised. Maybe you'd be surprised how many times during a week I may be talking to a Christian who's really struggling and flailing in their faith and making all the wrong decisions. And I say to them, hey, who's your crew? Who's your posse? Who are the brothers and sisters that you have around you? Who are the prayer warriors that you go to when you have need? Who are the people that you're accessing biblical wisdom from? 
And you know, I mean, over 50% of the people that I talk to respond with something like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have that. I don't really have that. I've not, I've not, found, I've not found that. I've not found that in the church. Almost like you come in, you sit down, and then it just, you know, abracadabra, it just happens. That doesn't just happen. That takes intentionality. It takes steps of faith. You know, it, it, it means that you have to be willing sometimes to do the thing that is the most uncomfortable thing to do. You know, it's, it's in a moment like this that I could say, hey, join a life group. Plug into a life group. You know, you really need to, you need to be a part of a life group. But you know, if you don't have a solid group of Christians that you're connected to, looking on the website and finding a life group and then, then getting in your car and driving all the way over there by yourself into a house where you don't know any of those people, I'm just saying that's not an easy thing to do. You know, or maybe young adults. Maybe you're a young adult and you know that God has been speaking to your heart about developing relationships and getting plugged in. And so you know you go to the connect desk and Chrissy or someone says to you, hey, well, this is when they meet and Thursday night and it's a great group of people and they love God and, and you don't know any of them. And so for you taking that step, it can be such a, it can be such a daunting step to take. And I just want to like publicly acknowledge the reality of that. But what are your options? I mean, maybe that's the very thing that's held you back from taking a step into deeper relationships within the church. You know, you're just, you're afraid to do that. It's so daunting. You know, you just prefer not to take that step of faith. And, and the reality is this, what you're opting for is less than God's best for your life. What you're, what you're opting for is to continue a life as a solo Christian. And you know what? Not only do you need other people, but other people need you. You have spiritual gifts. You have experiences that, that you can bring that will be a benefit to other people. You, you, God wants to use you to pray for other people. And I just want to strongly encourage you tonight to take the example from the Apostle Paul. He's like, hey, listen, the brothers, the brothers, the ones that are around me, the ones I lean into, the ones that are praying for me. You know, sometimes we look at the prison epistles and and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, as teachers, we can even say things like, hey, man, Paul was such an amazing man. I mean, to be in a place where you're, you're, you're under house arrest and you are pinning epistles inspired by God, like that is faith. That is strength in the midst of adversity. But that's not the whole story. Paul had Timothy, and Paul had Epaphroditus, and Paul had Silas. Paul had people in his life guaranteed, guaranteed that were present when, when Paul, you know, when Paul struggled in his faith. You say, there's no way Paul struggled in his faith. Yeah, Paul struggled in his faith. Paul had down days. Paul had days when he was discouraged. Paul had moments when he was afraid. You know that. Go back and read the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians, and it was in those moments, I'm certain, that brothers and sisters around the Apostle Paul strengthened him and lifted him up. When he got to the end of his life and his second imprisonment, everyone had abandoned him. He had a handful of friends left. And he's like, hey, look at, look at, the reality is this, as he writes to Timothy, all of these people have, have departed from me. 
You know, they, they've loved the world more than the gospel. And I don't think Paul was bitter at them. I don't think Paul was like, you know, who needs those, who needs those losers anyway? I think Paul was broken over their lostness, and I think he recognized himself what he lost without their companionship. And so the second thing I want to say to you tonight is this, get some fellowship, get some community, build some relationships. You have to start somewhere. If you don't know where to start, come to us after the service so that we can help you build good, solid, strong, healthy relationships so that when others are down, you can lift them up and so that when you are down, others can lift you up too. Yeah, I mean, verse 22 says this. This is the final thing today. We're keeping it kind of short. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. All the saints greet you. Did you guys know that Caesar salad do you know this? Do you know what I'm going to say right now? Do you know where Caesar salad was created, or Caesar dressing was created and Caesar salad? Mexico. Mexico, from Tijuana. It's like one of, the, one of the claims to fame. I know you're thinking, man, I thought it would be Rome or Milan or something like that. And no, it was Ce- it's actually Cesar's salad. No, it's not. I, I don't know. I don't know. So... so so the final thing, the final thing today is this, that, that Paul drops a bomb here. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And this is a big deal because you know who was Caesar at the time when Paul was, when Paul was under house arrest? Who was it? Who was it? Say it out loud. Nero. It was Nero. Do you know who was responsible for beheading the apostle Paul for his faith in Christ? Nero. So two years after writing this, this is written around 62 AD, 64 AD, Paul is in prison again, and he is ultimately beheaded for his faith in Christ. He says here that there were individuals in the household of Caesar, in Nero's household. So we're, most scholars believe we're talking not only slaves, but we're also talking family members. And not only that, but when you go back to chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says the imperial, the praetorium, the imperial guard themselves had heard the message of the gospel. This was a unique, if you've seen Gladiator, you know what I'm talking about. This was a select group of soldiers that were responsible for protecting Caesar. And so Paul, is, Paul says all the way in the beginning in chapter 1 that they had heard the message of the gospel. Now he's saying that there are people within the very circle of Caesar Nero that have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And you, you, think, you, think, you, you think, because this is what I think, what a wild path for Paul to take to get to a place where he was able to be an influence in Caesar's household. I mean, just step back and realize that, that the course that God had the Apostle Paul on so that he could ultimately be an influence in the household of the most powerful person in the world. Think about this. The course that God had Paul on to get to a place where he could be an influence in the household of the most powerful person in the world was probably anything except what Paul expected. I mean, the, the course that he was on was a course of 
imprisonment, accessory by the sea for two years. It was a course of um, being on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean, going through a crazy storm, Euroclidon. It was shipwreck on the island of Malta and then finally getting to Rome. And it wasn't that Paul had his freedom. It wasn't that Paul was cruising up and down the streets of Rome. Paul was in prison. I'm just saying to you that you never know how God is going to get done what he wants to get done. You just never know how he's going to do it. And the fact is this, I think that this is one of the exciting aspects of the Christian life. Like, you know, you never know what God is going to do. God is always full of surprises. God always has something up his sleeve. God is always doing something unconventionally. God is always, God is always um, circumventing our own wisdom, right? And creating a path that brings him the most glory. I think about Moses, of course, and Moses was raised up to be this great redeemer of Israel. What did God do for Moses to get him to that place? God sent Moses to the desert. I think about David, who was the greatest king of all Israel and one of the most significant individuals in all of the Bible. And his pathway was not through the palaces initially. It was out in the fields with the sheep. I think about Jesus and the, and the trajectory, the pathway that he was on to get to the cross, to get to the tomb, to get to the place of resurrection. It was through the womb of a virgin who was from Nazareth. I think obviously about the apostle Paul and the influence that he had in the household of Caesar. And what did God do? God placed him in prison. I say all of that to you tonight to say this, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Are you okay with that? Are you okay really living in a place where, where you have placed your whole life in the hands of God and you have said to him, God, I surrender everything to you. My life is yours. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Like, I think that that might be an easy thing to say amen to, but the reality is this, from the spiritual point of view, if we were all lit up with a color that identified whether we're really living like that or not, green is the person that is really living that way, God have your way, whatever you want, it's all yours. My dreams, my desires, my ambitions, my hopes, everything God is on the altar. I'm not, I'm not, clinging to anything. The only thing I'm clinging to is you. You're the one who satisfies my soul. Your gospel is the single purpose for which I live. Like tonight, from the spiritual point of view, if those people were lit up by green, and then on the other hand, we have people who are like, yeah, you know, I know that that's right, and I know that that's true, and I know that's what the Bible says, and my annoying pastor says it all the time. You know, I know that that's the case, but my hands aren't really like this. They're more like this. They're more like this. Or maybe it's like this. Maybe there are things that you've handed over. Maybe there are ways that you're living a transformed life. Maybe there are things that you've surrendered and yielded to God. And you know what? Thank God for that. Thank God for that. It's not easy to do that. You know, that is transformation that we thank God for doing in our lives. But there's still this thing. 
there's still this thing that we're holding on to. There's still this purpose, this ambition, this plan. There's still our reputation, the way people think about us. There are still these things that exist within our hearts that we're holding on to. And God, is, God has been saying to us, release that to me. Release that to me. Give that to me. The place of a, a really fulfilled life is when it is all laid on the altar. You know, and in this hand, sometimes we have our plans and we, we've mapped out the way that we think it should be done. And, and, you know, maybe we're aligning ourselves to what we think God's will for our lives really is, but we don't like the path that he's taking us on. And God is saying, will you surrender that to me once and for all? Isaiah 55 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God will take you down a road. Listen to me. God will take you down a road that is a road not of your own making. You would never plan that way. You would never dream that way. You probably wouldn't even plan that way for other people. But God, the sovereign one, who has predetermined good works for you to walk in because you're his poema, you're his workmanship, you're his symphony created in Christ Jesus. God has a purpose and a plan and a pathway, and, and it's not of your making, so that as you walk down that road, you know who really is in control of your life. So as you walk down that road, you're learning to really learn to live a life of submission. So as you choose to walk down that road, at the end of the road, you know who is going to get all of the glory. I'm saying to you tonight that that road oftentimes is very difficult and very painful. And some of the greatest things that God has done in my life have come through great challenges. And what, what was perceived by other people to be failure. You know, God will take you down a road and, and, and in the difficulty of it all, you will have people around you who play armchair quarterback and they'll have all their own personal ideas about what God is doing in your life and whether it was a success or failure. You know, and, and sometimes it's just you and God that really know what's going on. It's just you and God. And you're learning to trust God while, while other people may have aligned themselves to come to their own conclusions about what's happening in your life. And in that place, God is teaching you to die to your reputation. God is teaching you to die to your reputation. God is teaching you to release to him the desire that you have, the insatiable desire for popularity and the approval of other people. God is teaching you to die to the appearance of control because we all want to look like we're in control. We all want to look like we're in control. We all want to look like we have it handled, that we've got it taken care of. But you know, when, when, when you release it to God and he chooses his path for your life and he takes you down the unconventional route that doesn't make sense to anybody else, it's in that place that you really do yield to God and release control over your life to him. You are literally along for the ride.
You are along for the ride. And there's no better place to be than along for the ride with God. I think, I think a lot of us, a lot of us learn this the hard way, you know, and continue to learn this. No lie, I'm learning this on a daily basis and letting God do that deeper work in my life so that everything belongs to him and everything is yielded to him. And the truth is this, when you get on that pathway and you release it to God and you let it go and, and there's only one set of eyes that you're living for, you know what I'm saying? There's only one set of eyes that you're living for. There's only one person's approval that you really want at the end of the day. There's only one person you wanna be popular with and that's God. When you're in that place, what you'll realize is all of it is a divine setup. It's all a setup. Like God has on that road, as hard as it may be, God has good things in store for you. Because when you release it to him, you are freed. You are set free. You are, you're loosed oftentimes from chains that hold you back. But it's in that place that God can do his greatest work. And so I want to say to you tonight, what have you been holding on to? What have you been clinging to? What has God been tugging on your heart to let go of? You know, when, when we were raising our kids, of course, if you have kids, you know this has happened to you as well. Probably a time where they were holding on to something they shouldn't have been holding on to. Um, or they'd taken a toy from somebody and they were like just white knuckles, Right? And sometimes as a parent, you know, there's different ways to approach this to get that thing out of the kid's hands. Some of you are like, you bribe, you use the bribe method. You're like, you're like, you're dangling a cookie in front of their face. And it's like, you want the cookie? You want the cookie, honey? Here's two cookies, both hands, both hands. God doesn't manipulate you like that. God doesn't manipulate, God doesn't bribe you. That's not, that's not what God does. Some of us as parents, we're like, give me your hand, right? And then you're peeling one finger back at a time. You know what I'm saying? Um, or you're screaming at your kid. Um, a, better, a better way to do it is to talk to them, to pray over them, to show them why it's better for them to let that thing go and to release it. And for some of us here, look, you don't want to be in a place where God has got to pull your fingers back to get you to let go of the thing that you've been holding on to. But what he has been doing through the gentle work of his Holy Spirit, he has been speaking to you, speaking over your life, wooing you with love to come to him and to release it so that you can experience the fullness of what he's desired to do in your life all along. Paul looks back and, you know, he did this in Philippians chapter 1 at the very end. He's like, everything that's happened to me has been purposed for the gospel, and I want to encourage you to see your life like that. As you're following him hard, as you have responded to his relentlessness with the same relentlessness for him, I want to encourage you to trust that everything that happens in your life has been purposed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that place, you can have peace. Peace.